poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Tactical Tuesday on Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, 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 my friend, to another episode of Tactical Tuesday. As always, this is your host, Coach Brad Wilson, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, and I am joined with my co-host, John. John, what up, sir? How's it going? We got some uh, some hands from the recent Phil Ivey, Tom Dwan, high stakes stream uh, from Hustler Casino Live this weekend, and hey. uh, I just picked out... Yeah, I mean, I I watched the whole thing, like both episodes, and I just picked out like two big pots that I thought uh, had some interesting hands that would probably generate some discussion from the both of us. Yeah, I mean, we can't forget G-Man and Berkey oh, right, right, and right. Dahl, you know, yeah. those guys. And the mixer, look, we got the mixer on the screen right there. Um, <laughs> with his vape pen ready to to make some make this some guy, decisions. Mickey was incredible, man. He's, I mean, like, people talk about how exciting, like, G-Man and, like, Ivy and Durr and, like, whatever, having those guys on stream are. But, like, I think Mickey is just, like, uh, like a thousand times more entertaining and would make, like, any stream a thousand times more entertaining than any of those pros. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the mixer didn't care, you know, just does, doesn't, <laughs> just does, does, does not, not care. care at all. Um, let's just put some Ooh. money in the pot. Uh, uh, definitely good wild card that made the whole thing fun. I mean, I, I'm sure that, you know, the podcast listener has heard about the stream or either watched the stream themselves. Nowhere in the build, uh, build up, the headlines, the billboards was Mickey anywhere. And yet when it was all said and done, everybody knew who Mickey was. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, like I said, like the stream would have been so much more boring without Mickey. If it was, even if it had just Dur, Ivy and G-Man and Gal, like I, I think just, we probably wouldn't have had even like a fraction of the exciting hands that occurred last weekend. Right. So y- you picked a couple of hands that Mickey played, right? Now that we've built him up. <laughs> yeah, he's actually like, he's like not even in any of these. <laughs> it's not hard in- for us. To, I think it'd be hard for you and me to like try to do a breakdown of like, what Mickey's thinking when he makes a decision in a poker hand. I don't think either of us would do a very good job of being able to break it down. Yeah, probably not. Probably not. With all of that said, let's, uh, let's dive into this first hand that you brought. This is Berkey versus Gall, right? Yes. You know, you can break it down for the podcast mm. listener. Um, there is a video component to this on YouTube. If you want to check out Tactical Tuesday on YouTube, YouTube.com slash Chasing Poker Greatness. John, break down the, the pre-flop action here. Sure. So uh, they're playing 200, 400, 800 with, um, with a big blind ante um, from our $200 big blind ante. Uh, oh, I guess actually the structure says they're playing 200, 200, 400. But Gal is in the $800 straddle. Matt Berkey opens up the button uh, with two queens for $2,000. Uh, Krish in the big blind with pocket fives, flats, and Gal also flats from the straddle with a six of clubs. I think everything that happened pre-flop is completely standard. Agreed. Agreed. Where, you know, Berkey's got uh, 97K, Gal has 350, and Krish has about 90. So 
basically starting a little bit more than 100 big blinds deep. So yep. not not ultra deep because of this four blind and anti structure. So there's 6.8K in the pot heading to the flop with a bunch more behind. And uh, we get a flop of eight of clubs, six of hearts, deuce of clubs. By the way, podcast listener can't appreciate this, but man, these camera angles on Hustler Live, they're they are pretty good, huh? Like yeah, this is just a everything good about Hustler Live is just, it's just very, very, very good production wise, I think. And yeah, these these camera angles are insane. <laughs> yeah, these, these are great. Um, yeah. So did I say the flop? I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> eight of clubs, six of hearts, deuce of clubs. I think you did say it, but okay. Christian Gal, Christian Gal both checked Matt as as expected. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Matt firing out a C bet here makes a lot of sense. He goes big, uh, five thousand into six point eight. Yeah, I mean, I guess like the first thing to note for me is like Matt sizing on this flop. It would be, I think, at least in online. Terms like this would be a very very big c bet multi-way um in a single raise pot i would expect like i don't know more commonly used size to be closer to like a third or or like a much smaller size i think though that like this is like a deliberate kind of deviation that like matt makes and maybe like a lot of other live pros make because i i just see like this big size get used a lot as the standard c bet size uh even multi-way yeah um I mean, I think it's fine. Like this is how we played for years, you know, in multi-way pots before, <laughs> before we started using the very small sizings. I mean, it like the way that I always thought about multi-way pots for the first, you know, 14 years of my career, 15 years of my career is like, you're basically, you want to use big sizings and not small sizings. So for like ever, I use exclusively big sizings, but I think that Berkey being in position here, I don't know. I, I don't really have anything i think it's just fine like fine given the situation i I would say there's one thing that i just kind of noticed in the uh in the replay and it could mean nothing it could mean something and i guess like i'll I'll just let both you and the the watcher take it into consideration but krish so berkey bets 5k and on the video feed you can see krish grabs a 5k chip but then for whatever reason instead grabs five uh 1k chips to call with instead and could mean something could mean nothing i just find that like for whatever reason humans tend to value their big chips more and him deliberately switching to five 1k chips just strikes me as odd uh i'm I'm so scared of like reading into that stuff when i'm actually playing like i'm like screwing myself over but like yeah i i do agree that i think with you that generally well look i mean just just watch when he bets like he bets he goes to grab it stops himself instead grabs those i mean i don't again i i I don't know like but there is like there's something there that happened where like sure. subconsciously he went to grab a five realized oh i don't want to use this one i want to use these instead right 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 um and berkey i think people like berkey people like g-man they're going to pick up on pretty much all of those little bitty things like yeah. that's the whether it influences their decision whether it's a data point they prioritize somewhere down the line i mean it, it's extra information that may or may not be used yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, I did not notice that in the first first watch through. Maybe that's maybe Gal noticed that. Maybe that's why he does what he does. 
uh, I doubt it. I, I think, <laughs> I mean, so Gaul, is it Gaul or Gal? I thought it was Gaul. Gaul, Gal. I'm not sure, actually. <laughs> wow. Tons of research being done here every week on Tactical <laughs> Tuesday. I, I think it's Gaul, but I'm not okay, sure. Yeah, Gaul makes more sense, I think. Yeah. So he check raises to 20K with his pair and his flush draw. I actually, I mean, this seems quite reasonable with given the the incentives of his hand he's just basically you know trying to realize some fold equity and pretty happy to just like get it in i would imagine yes i think like just on the pure equity of your hand like this is just getting all the money in on the flop is fine uh personally this is like not how i would prefer to play nut flush draw with a pair i think i would just be doing a lot of calling and um just really just like taking my equity once once like it goes bet call on the flop but are you taking your equity like you're gonna have a a pot that's like 20k three ways and you're more way more likely to under realize than over realize i would think yes i just like can't imagine like holding the turn like how many situations arise where i fold the turn it would have to be like a bet from Matt and like a jam or a raise from Krish or something like that. Yeah. Could be. Um, I mean, you also have a lot of situations, like a lot of good things that could happen too, where, you know, Ber- Berkey's got, I like that you call him Matt, by the way, you keep calling oh, him Oh yeah. His, uh, his, his name is Matt on the, on the thing. <laughs> yeah. It should say Berkey. It should um, say Berkey. <laughs> but I mean, Berkey can have like flush draws with over cards, combo draws that he decides to check back. Um, and then if you do complete your flush, it's unlikely that Berkey's going to be playing for like all the bets. Uh, if he has like a small flush draw, like nine, 10 of clubs, queen, jack of clubs, queen, 10 of clubs, king, queen of clubs, king, jack of clubs, king, 10 of clubs. I think all those hands are like, you know, yeah, I, I don't love that, that rationale of like, oh, when we make the really strong hand, but when we make the flush, our opponent's not going to, you know, like when we make the hand where we want to play where we want to play for all the money, our opponent is not going to want to play for all the money. So our solution is to like try to get all the money no, no. In before we make our hand. Yeah, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying oh, okay. like a hand like nine, ten of clubs. Uh-huh. Like the oh, turn, see, the, see, the turn is a four. It checks through, and now the river's a club. Yeah. And Chris checks, Gull bets. Berkey's never raising with his flush gotcha, on gotcha. the river. Right, 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 right. Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. No, I'm not saying build a pot in case we hit. That's good. Right? Like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, and that's like you're right. It's gonna be, uh, yeah. I mean, Berkey's never or Matt, Matt, sorry, Berkey's never playing a flush draw uh, on the flop, even to those twenty k raise. So, like, yes, you're definitely stacking Berkey's flush draws when he makes a flush, or when you both make a flush when you take this line versus when you check call. Uh, yeah, fine. It's it's possible that you don't stack him when he makes a flush. Um, I don't know. I just think that if I was gonna raise a hand on the flop, it would. I would like kind of want it to be weaker than a six middle pair with like nut kicker and ace kicker and the nut flush draw. Uh, I don't know. I, I feel like I, I would just personally be picking way weaker hands than this to, I mean, I don't either. even know. Is this a bluff? Like, I guess we should first like categorize, like, is this a, is this a bluff? Like what, what, what exactly are we, what exactly are we trying to, I mean, basically we have a 50% equity hand against yeah. most any hand and we're just raising with our equity. I mean, three ways. Yeah. Like Berkey can get it in with worse and yeah, we can generate folds. I mean, you probably, I think part of this is that Berkey bet 
close to pot on the flop yeah. three ways right. on a do six eight board. So I, I think that like Berkey's naturally has higher equity driven hands when he chooses this sizing three ways. Like I would suspect, you know, maybe eight X and maybe some hands like nine ten, seven, nine of hearts. Um, then all the overpairs and a bunch of flush draws, maybe like sixes or deuces. But I, I would expect it to be a relatively strong range that C bets that big three ways. Yes, I agree. So with that said, I mean, I don't think Gull is under any illusion that Berkey's going to fold an overpair. I think that like, but Berkey can have worse flush draws. And that's like a really great outcome to get it in with King Queen of Clubs. Okay. Okay. All right. I can, I can buy that. So anyway, Gall does decide to raise. Um, I think you can do either one and like, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Berkey's in a spot now. Berkey's in a spot, right? So like Berkey's in a spot and so it's 15 to call. Berkey's got 92 K left. There's 36.8 K in the middle. He's got two red Queens. He's in position. What do you think, John? So, uh, I actually really like that this is like 100 big, roughly 100 big blinds effective. So now I don't have to worry about like, whoa, you know, at 100 big blinds, I would do this. But since they're like 350, uh, I'm not sure. I think now that I say that, that doesn't really make the decision like that much, that much easier. I mean, uh, I guess like what I'm thinking about right now is like the benefits of calling versus the benefits of just jamming. Can we preface this with something? Yeah. I'm not exactly sure, but I believe that when this hand went down, Gall is stuck quite a lot. Yes. And I think, I think he that, got stuck very early on in the session to Mickey. And yeah. Yeah. He's stuck quite a bit. And by nature, I think Gall is a very aggressive player. And so I think that can have a major influence in Berkey's decision making or his thought process here, too. Like when Gall raises, it's quite easy to imagine that he, he can be like getting out of line or just raising inappropriately. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think like out of all the players at this table, like Gall, maybe second to Mickey, <laughs> is uh, the player that's like most likely to find, you know, raises here that aren't nutted. Um, he's going to have, you know, he's probably over check raising, uh, over check raising the spot versus Matt. And I'm sure that Matt knows that. Right. So with that said, Matt, uh, <laughs> Matt, God, you're, you're getting me. Berkey's at a decision. Um Call or jam. I, I'm pretty sure folding is off the table and yes. you lose your job as Tactical Tuesday co-host if we say Berkey, uh, Berkey I, folds. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get somebody else in here. <laughs> yeah, someone who doesn't fold over pairs on eight high flops and single yeah. response. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I guess like versus a player like Gal who's gonna have like a ton of a ton more like kind of like equity driven tech raises here. Um and he's just going to have like all the nine sevens and the seven fives and the clubs and, you know, maybe even like hands like nine, 10 of hearts. Um, I would guess that like jamming versus those players makes more sense versus jamming uh, against like a player like me, let's say that like doesn't have all those as many like equity driven check raises. And like a lot of my bluff check raises are going to be hands that I am very comfortable just like snap folding to a jam. So I'm going to so have some like you're polarizing with your check. Right, right, right. Um, and yeah, and Gal is just less polar. He's going to have hands that, you know, actually kind of have a little bit of a decision facing, a, a 93 K jam, um, 
from Berkey and and is going to actually have to think about folding for 70k more. Yeah. I mean, it could go either way, I think. I think Berkey can jam or Berkey can call. My typical tendency is to call in spots like this. However, if, you know, Berkey knows goal is stuck and just ready to gamble, then you know, with like a hand like nine, seven of hearts or five, seven of hearts, something like that, then like just getting it in and being like, you know, let's roll maybe yeah. the, the best, more profitable option. Right. Right. Uh, so Berkey does choose door number two. He just gets it in. Does Krish being behind Berkey, be like, let's say you're Berkey and does Krish being behind you and, and flatting the 5k, like, are you just totally disregarding that? Like, so I guess this kind of goes back to that data point earlier yep. of like, the, the major question here that Berkey's got to take into account is like, is Krish slow playing? Like, does Krish have traps in his range? Because if Krish has traps in his range, then that makes the decision to jam much more dicey. Yeah. I, I would, I, like, again, it's a very small thing, but that little deliberation choosing the five 1K chips, I mean, if Berkey's aware of that and saw that, I would say that that eliminates a lot of Krish's traps from his range. Mm -hmm. So you don't really have to worry so much about that. Gotcha. Yeah. And it could yeah, just be that's... a hesitation. Even if he didn't pick up on like exactly why he hesitated, but like that small like hitch. Um, yeah. Makes it way easier to jam here or like makes it way more comfortable to jam here than, you know. Yeah. When you yeah. think the big blind just doesn't, it doesn't have like a set of eights here. Yeah. Um, then it, it makes the decision a lot better yeah. or a lot easier yeah. to make. Yeah. I feel like this opens up like a big potential conversation about having to protect your calling range from the big blind multi-way in these spots and, and not just check raising all your sets and two pair and stuff. But I, we should probably leave that for another day. Yeah, probably. We're somehow, we, we thought this hand was going to be quick and it's actually gone. We've gone <laughs> ni 19 minutes or so, but it, it's Quite an interesting spot on the flop, and um, I, I, think I think both Sal and Matt have have this like you know it's neither of the decisions that that they made or ended up making are are you know super standard decisions. So, and if you are Chris here and you do have a set of eights, like knowing that Gaul is stuck, knowing that a check raise is not the least likely thing that's ever going to happen here, flatting with sets or trapping with sets seems like a pretty appealing possibility. Um, I mean, if he would have done it here, it would have been would have worked out incredibly well for him. Yeah, like he would have got got all in three ways with like a set. But unfortunately, he doesn't have a set. He's just got a pair of fives, so <laughs> um, doesn't really matter very much. But um, let's uh, so we should play this through and show the result. Yeah, so we'll we'll play it through. So yeah. Berkey jams. You know, Gall takes a moment to takes a moment to look at the pot odds and just double check to make sure before he calls 70 K that he's getting the right price, which at two to one, he's getting the right price for sure. And they run it twice. And you know, Berkey fades all the outs twice and scoops it. Yep. We can see both boards, Berkey plus 108 K good to be the Burks, sir. One for one for solve for why. Yeah. And uh, after the break, going to be G-Man time and Tom Dewan time breaking down a hand that those two legends of the game. Match up for the ages. <laughs> match up for the <laughs> ages. Stick around. The decision to enter a hand 
is fundamental to poker strategy. Too tight, and they know what you have. Too loose, and you're easy to run over. Free Flop Bootcamp from Chasing Poker Greatness is a comprehensive guide to locking down your pre-flop game and creating true range advantage. Eight days of guided training, over 60 optimal ranges, and access to a dedicated community of players that will push your pre-flop game from a place of weakness to your greatest strength. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp. Available now. Before boot camp, I had been playing for maybe 15 years, somewhat seriously, always trying to get better, jumping from learning program to different learning programs and training site to training site. Kind of feeling a little bit lost, not really knowing how to go about getting better. And pre-flop boot camp just felt like a great starting point, a way for me to to move from being a losing player to, to possibly a winning player. It felt like the right first step. Once you jumped in boot camp, what was your experience like? Well, first off, I realized that I'd been making a lot of mistakes prior to boot camp, kind of learning what rangers should look like and what hands should be played in what situations. You know, it was it was exciting because I I could see what other people had been doing to me, what kind of what I had been missing in my game. And then from there, just the whole camaraderie of everybody that's um, signed up, working together, trying to achieve that goal. You know, that, that was fun. That's uh, pushing each other and really helping uh, one another, kind of feeling like you're a part of a team. It was, uh, it was a great experience. I, I enjoyed the process and I learned a lot. What was your experience like playing cards post bootcamp? It's a totally different experience. You know, it put me in a position to be successful as opposed to always being behind the eight ball and, and playing catch up. Um, I really feel like it's it's the foundation of, of a solid poker game. And uh, since boot camp, I've been able to, to turn a profit and keep building on what I learned there. You know, being able to go back into the group and uh, re really work together even after boot camp was over, it's it's been awesome. What's your sample size of winning post boot camp? I think I have 70,000 hands played by now, you know, I'm a father and I have a job, so I'm not a, a professional player by any means. That's my sample size. Preflop Bootcamp is the flagship Chasing Poker Greatness training program. If you'd like to dramatically upgrade your preflop game, a new bootcamp launches on the last Saturday of every single month. The price is $199 and your link to join is ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp. One more time, that's chasingpokergreatness.com slash bootcamp, all one word, or you can click through in the description box of this episode. All right, welcome back. After the break, we're going to dive right into hand number two. We see one Tom Dwan, who's been over in Asia for the last decade or so, playing in Macau, um, rocking his Poker King shirt, looking down at two jacks um, from under the gun. I assume there's a no, there's no straddle on. So there's no just, straddle this hand, yeah. yeah. No straddle. So two to four. He opens three X, and Garrett decides to call. That's with, yeah, surprising. Yeah, sorry. It is surprising. Um, and 
you know, Tom has jacks and Garrett has ace queen of diamonds for the podcast listener. I would say, I mean, that this is just one of those situations that happen in poker where Garrett's deviating based on the table configuration that he's playing at. He's not, not three betting the under the gun racer, Tom Thuan, um, got a couple of, uh, players behind like Lucky's in the small blind who can flat. I think that's a good situation for Garrett. If lucky flats out of the small blind playing a multi-way pot. Um, so to me, it's just, he doesn't want to isolate himself against Tom Dwan, who's opening under the gun. So he widens his flat range, contracts his three betting range to invite some players in behind. I think, you know, this is just, uh, it's one of the reasons that makes Garrett such a versatile, adaptable, strong and good poker player. Something that like, I, I personally think lots of players make mistakes by not deviating too heavily from their preflop strategies. And it's, it heartens me to know that Garrett is very willing to deviate quite heavily. Uh, yeah. So like I'm all for like deviating with, um, I mean, just to like clarify, I think the point that you were trying to make, it's like behind Garrett, there's Krish and Lucky. Both of them are recreational players. They don't play poker for a living and and so are going to be considerably, uh, you know, weaker players than, than, for example, Tom Dwan. And so inviting <laughs> most, those guys. Most people are. Considerably <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe even if they weren't recreational. Yeah. Players. Yeah. So like inviting them in to the pot and, you know, again, like Brad said, not isolating yourself versus, uh, versus Tom and playing like a three bet pot where you probably don't have much edge if if any edge versus tom like why not just let two weaker players in where like now suddenly there there's the potential for someone to make like huge mistakes um post-flop and maybe even pre-flop that being said i'm all for i'm all for doing everything that brad said and just like widening your calling range you know trimming down your three-bet range ace queen of diamonds is that is that is wide for not three-betting for me like like I'm talking about like 10, eight students and like Jack nine students, like ace queen of diamonds for me would still be, <laughs> I think would still be a three bet. Can um, we, let's talk about, about, about this because ace queen of diamonds, right? So like it has a value, like it, it has a value in EV when he three bets Tom to one, which will make money. Mm-hmm. Um, just no way to slice it or dice it. That three bet versus Tom's open just has to make money with ace queen of diamonds. Yes. So to ask a better question is, do can you make more money when Lucky or Krish comes along and we play a pot three ways, right? Like that's that's the comparison here. And to be frank, there's no way to measure it. There's There's no way to actively know which one is better. So basically like Garrett's just going with his gut instinct that flatting is more profitable than three betting. And I mean, I don't know. I, I trust Garrett. (laughs) I mean, in Garrett, I trust in situations like this, because this is like the environment that he's played in the last five to 10 years. And he's obviously one of the best players in the world. So, yeah. And I'm sure he has like a, like for this exact specific situation, like he knows the mood that Chris is in. He knows the mood that Lucky is in like way better than we do. Like, you know, you've mentioned this on previous podcasts. Sometimes you get a feeling for like when someone is just about to like blast off despite, you know, maybe physically not appearing like they're massively tilted or something like that. So like, yeah, if Garrett's picked up on anything like that from the players behind him, then yeah, I guess I, like, I, I don't, is probably way more profitable. Yeah. I, see, I, I don't know. Like, I, I think the more I've learned about stuff like that, somebody going off 
like a rocket in a spot where like they have nothing's like really happened, but you can yeah. just like feel that they're about to do something ridiculous and just punt their stack away. Yeah. Um, to me, I think that's, it's becoming less mysterious. The more that I learn about, uh, body language and nonverbal communication, maybe it's just something that like you can sense in another human being that like, right. for whatever reason, their posture changes, the way they're touching their cards change. They're just, they're ready to, to battle. It's been, They've waited too long. Now it's time to play a big pot. Um, but I mean, this is like, I think that if you play live poker, you should have a good understanding of when to deviate from your baseline strategy. And I trust that Garrett knows when to do that. And it's not like he even thought about it. He just did this very quickly, which to me yeah. is like, that makes it seem like it's even more of a slam dunk. Like this is just, he knows what to do here and he's doing it. Right. Um, but we don't have to dwell on the pre-flop for, you know, we still got interesting stuff that's about to happen. <laughs> we talked about an open and a flat for five minutes pre-flop. And... Nope. That's, yeah. that's Tactical Tuesday. That's Tactical Tuesday. So let's, <laughs> and nothing even happens, by the way. Nobody, nobody like three bets. Nobody joins in. It's just heads up between Garrett and Mr. Dwan. Uh, so we get a pretty good flop for both players, actually. Yeah, yeah. There's, uh, by the way, we, we didn't mention the stacks, but Tom's got 224K and looks like Garrett's got all the money. Um, Tom covered by almost 2X at this point. So, yeah. They're playing like stacks, 500 big blinds effective. Yeah. So, effective stacks are, you know, 224K. There's 3.4K in the middle of the flop is Jack of Diamonds, 10 of Clubs, 4 of Hearts. Tom starts out with a check. Any thoughts here, John? I'm a big, big fan of this check. Um, I am just to simplify my out of position strategy in single raise pots. I uh, generally check range. Um, and so I think, especially even like, I think there's some boards where like it, it would be okay not to check range. Um, some like, you know, ace, ace, king or like ace, king, just those very high card boards where you're going to have a significant range advantage versus a player that just flatted in position. I think on this type of flop, these like low and uh, middling type flops. Um, that's not going to be the case. So I think checking range here, which it appears that's what Tom is doing, um, is my preferred strategy. It appears we can't know, yeah. but he is checking with top set. So, I mean, maybe doesn't check with tens. Uh, I get yeah. it. it. It's hard yeah. to know. Um, Garrett here with his backdoor flush drop, his gut shot, um, his ace high. Two overs, yeah. Two overs. He decides to stab. Looks to be... 1.5k any thoughts on garrett stab here so it's a little bit tough for me to comment on on this spot because i don't like i said pre-flop i don't do a lot of flatting with ace queen of diamonds or a lot of like a size in position um or good a size in position my my kind of initial feeling when i see this spot in this hand is that i would likely be checking back ace queen quite frequently it has like it's I mean, I guess it's it's certainly strong enough to call a check raise, especially with the backdoor diamonds. Um, but just you're gonna have the best hand a uh, decent amount of the time. Um, when you bet and your opponent folds, you're gonna be folding out worse hands uh, almost always. I can't imagine a better hand than Ace Queen folding the flop. Um, if this bet is just if you know Garrett's just putting this bet out to set up future barrels uh, to try to fold out, you know, like a ten or hand like pocket nines or something like that, um, then I think it's uh, considerably more understandable. Um, but just my gut instinct would be that I would check back a screen, uh, in position. 
I think it could go either way. You know, I yeah. think I think starting out with a bet is fine. I think checking back is totally fine. Garrett wants to start out with a bet. I mean, it could be like you said, structuring future strategies, thinking that like it's tough for Tom to call three barrels. Um, just maybe more difficult to play um, after checking back or whatever it is. But Garrett decides to bet. But I, I think it like I don't think either one is like greatly preferred over the other um because like you said like ace queen high is just the best hand quite often right. against right. tom here so garrett does decide about 1.5k and tom any thoughts here on tom's decision check raise flat uh this would be a check raise for me i was surprised to see um flat here i don't know if he's maybe playing a strategy where he just plays no check raises out of position in some race spots on on these types of boards or you know, maybe for some other reason he doesn't want to play check raises, but you know, given that I'm checking range out of position, um, you know, I'm going to have a lot of strong hands, a lot of strong made hands, like top set, uh, like in Tom's example, I'm going to have a decent number of hands that do want to bluff. Um, for example, I'm just going to have like all the open enders, all the gut shots, um, tons of stuff with like backdoor flush draws um, that I think do want to bluff. So I would be check raising top set here, pretty much pure. I don't mind check calling. I think. Getting to the turn with some traps is good, and I think Jax is like the most obvious trap because mm -hmm. hard for Garrett to have a good hand when you have yeah. top top set here. Yeah. Um, plus, I mean, you know, Garrett is is an aggressive player, so Garrett can fire multiple bets, and you, we can trap multiple bets from like lower equity hands. So, like, uh, I'm I, I think my preference here would be to check raise with like tens, or um, tens and fours, tens and fours, but not jacks yep. i think chat calling with jacks is just totally fine okay um and tom you know goes for it so puts in the call and we get a get a pretty good turn for garrett the king of spades so garrett turns broadway and tom has his set of jacks tom after check calling the flop decides to check the turn very reasonable and now garrett with a hand that is pretty hard to believe <laughs> that he has because of the pre-flop action. Um, decides to bet 5K. What are your thoughts here, like on the turn? Tom's decision, I mean, Garrett's decision is pretty obvious here. He just goes polar, bets five and like 6.5K. Tom has the option to raise, has the option to call. Um, I think once we've started the flop with just the check call, I like just check calling down um until the river and then doing whatever aggressive action that you know you might want to do with pocket jack uh with a set on the river um you know i think uh, one thing that i didn't think about that that you mentioned that i think is really good is that like garrett is just a super aggressive player he's not going to be afraid to just bomb three streets um so when you have a hand that can like very comfortably trap and call down um garrett is probably one of the best players to do that against and uh that's what i would just that's what i would continue doing on the turn is just check calling down with jacks yeah, I mean, so Garrett's going polar too, right? And like yeah. on this board, going polar, Tom has to think like maybe queen nine suited, like is in the value range, probably discounting ace queen pretty heavily. And then king 10 is the only other value. I guess there's like pocket fours. Yeah, I, mean, have, I think he could have pocket tens and fours if he, if he has ace queen, right? He can. I think though that it's very hard for Tom to find bluffs. <laughs> calling like check calling flop and then check raising turn because like tom has ace queen in his range right yeah like yeah. this would be um yeah i just don't i don't think tom has many bluffs and i think that like check calling 
is pretty much what he's forced to do here on yes. the on the turn. Yep. So Tom goes ahead and check calls, and then in Boom. the epic battle of these high stakes heavyweights, it's a back and forth. Uh, the river is a jack. So we have the last remaining jack. Mister Dwan has his quads, and Garrett is just kind of sad now he he doesn't know he's sad but <laughs> he doesn't know he's sad but he's sad <laughs> yeah he doesn't know he's sad like look at the face he he seems happy on the inside but he's about to be very sad <laughs> on the inside in a few moments tom checks again uh looks like he actually considers betting here yeah and i don't think betting is the worst to be honest because when garrett polarizes on the turn player most likely to have a jack is tom and so if garrett decides to ha if garrett has like king 10 then he's not betting if he decides to bet like polar on the tur turn polarize on the turn with king queen i don't think he's value betting this river so with garrett's like bluff catcher type hands he's just going to check behind i would imagine quite frequently yeah. so I, I think tom does deliberate in going for a lead on the river. I don't mind a lead on the river, to be honest. I think it, um, I think that if you did lead something like 5K, you could set yourself up for like a bet three bet situation, although hard to find bluffs in our bet three bet range. I mean, like, I think it's hard to find bluffs in your river lead range even. It is, it is. I just, like, I mean, it, it's hard because of the way that Tom's played this hand, it's hard to find bluffs like no matter what he does, I think, yeah. which is sort of problematic and plays out a little bit in, in this hand. So Tom checks the river. He doesn't lead. Garrett, um, we watched this. I actually didn't see this hand live. John brought it to me. Um, pre predicted Garrett's bet on the river. Yeah, uh, on the nose. On the nose, 25K. I think the overbet makes sense. He, he polarizes on the turn and knows that he doesn't have tons of value on the river so he wants to go big and polarize on the river as well um so garrett makes himself a wager of five five thousand dollar chips and tom thinks about it for quite a bit he uses a time chip actually and i actually don't think that he's deliberating i mean I think that he is deliberating. I think that he is thinking about the size that he should check raise to here because it's a, it's a quite a strange decision. You're sitting here with quads and now your villain has gone polar and then overbet polar on the river. So like what size do you choose with your yeah. check raise? The ultra rare situation where you have the nuts and your opponent has overbet and you're like, wow, this is great. And then yeah. the next second you're like, oh wait, what, what do I do? I check raise <laughs> what size, what size are you? Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, and Tom thinks about it and eventually cuts out. What does he cut out? I'm trying to fast forward. 8K, I believe. 68K. So misses Kevin Malone's favorite number by 1K. Got to go for the 69K there, Tom. Come on, you're so close. Maybe he didn't have a green chip. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you think about Tom's check race sizing here? Um, I mean, just... Based off the fact that of the conversation that we had, that like, look, Tom, once he check calls the flop, check calls the turn, doesn't have any bluffs or very many bluffs. I can't think of a single one that that would play this way, honestly. Um, I think that being the case, I do like the small check raise size, uh, just in spots where you're not gonna have 
lots of bluffs uh, or any bluffs that I can think of. Um, this, you know, check raising small or raising small is generally my preferred uh, preferred strategy. Um, I don't know if something like that is like I don't I, like I just don't know how something like that gets perceived in in live poker and and by like G man specifically here. Like, will we look at the small check raise size and be like, oh, well, like he's never bluffing for that size, so I'm always just gonna fold. And like maybe he calls slightly more frequently versus the check jam size, for example, thinking that like you actually do have some bluffs, or is you know Garrett or or a live poker player is the type to look at this check raise and be like, okay, well, he has to pick that size even with his bluffs because he doesn't have very many bluffs. Therefore, I have to call like at least some of the time when they pick this very small check raise size. Um, I'm, of, I'm of two minds. Yeah. I, I think, uh, actually, I'm kind of of one mind. My, my preference is just for Tom to jam. Yeah. Like, I think it's it's a weird thing where he's out of position on the river and like, when Garrett chooses the overbet sizing, Tom can make it a two-bet game or a three-bet game. So like he can raise where Garrett still has the option to re-raise. Mm-hmm. I I'm so I, I think like once Garrett bet overbets and polarizes on the river, like when when you re-polar, you're typically choosing a big size, right? Because like when villain has <sighs> I guess you can choose a small size when Garrett polarizes too. Right, right. That, that right. Generate, once like Garrett generates has a bunch of folds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once Garrett has already polarized, like any any raise by you is is pull, like to any size. Even if he min clicked it, it would be like that's that's polar. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's yeah it's tricky. It's it is tricky and yeah I mean maybe Tom's sizing here is just really good. <laughs> maybe I maybe I changed my mind now that I've thought about it more. Um, it's always hard for me to. It's always I mean, hard, think, hard for me to, um, I guess, over, overly criticize somebody like, like Dwan <laughs> or like Garrett. Like, I, like I struggle, right? Because I mean, this is a very interesting spot, and in, I have to imagine that Tom is used to spots like this, check raising at depth, um, out of position, and yeah, I think probably fundamentally, technically, when you repolar, you you want to use a smaller sizing here. I mean, like, if I could ask Tom any question, like a question, and like just inject truth serum into him, like my question in this spot would be like, okay, if you had a bluff, like with your bluffs, like what size do you raise here? And like, I think that would say a lot about like what he thinks about the spot and like his strategy. Like, if he jams his bluffs, but he goes this size with his quads, then like, I think that reveals a lot. Um, I mean, you know. basically, for him to be bluffing, he needs to have a jack. Yeah, I think it would definitely be turning a jack into a bluff, which is not that insane versus you know polar turn over bet river i think i think like i don't know i had like queen jack probably like is one that comes to mind as like okay that would probably be like the first candidate that i would start thinking about turning into a bluff yeah um but yeah like you said like versus garrett's over bet he's basically saying a jack is no is, is not not gonna cut it on the river so yeah i mean we we say that right but like we did say that Garrett polarized too. So like if it's sure. polarizing, then he, he should have some bluffs in there. Well, it's that... not going to like, you can't just look down at ace Jack. I'm saying, and expect to be Garrett's value range when mm. it goes maybe over, bet. really, you think he's saying he's, he, he would bet like queen Jack for the size on the river. No, yeah. like seven, nine. I mean, Oh yeah. You beat bluffs. I'm just ace saying deuce, that you don't, beat the, you don't beat the, you don't beat any value. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, yeah. you, you beat the bluffs, right? Like that, sure, that's sure, sure. all you basically. So those are the factors, right? Like how often is Garrett bluffing? Does he think that Garrett has like 
equal distribution of like bluffs and value. And if he thinks that Garrett's under bluffing here with this polar size, then you turn your jack into a bluff, right? So like those are that's the the sequence that you have to think in your mind and then execute at the tables of like, okay, I think Garrett's under bluffing here. And because I think Garrett's under bluffing, then I'm gonna turn my jack into a bluff. And it's it's a hard sequence to come to, honestly. Like, because Garrett is so aggressive that like you can probably justify just calling with a jack. Like ace jack yeah. is pretty easy to call with, I think. Um uh. I can't count the number of times I've like been in the situation, looked down at a jack in my hand and just jammed thinking like, okay, well, I'm just going to be safe and try to get them to fold everything. Like, unless he has king jack, I don't think he can call. Like if I rip, you know, the rest of my stack in here with queen jack. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll admit that that thought has definitely crossed my mind. I mean, maybe a better hand is like king queen, right? Like yeah, you can have maybe. a jack, you can have king queen. I think yeah. you need a king or a jack pretty much because you you certainly don't want to be... You you want to raise into the nuts as least often as you can, <laughs> ideally, um, yeah. just in, in a poker sense. So, all right, I've I've come around. Initially, I thought it was a jam, but now my mind has been changed by both you and Tom Dwan. So, I'm on board. Doesn't matter what you guys do, by the way, because G Man, he's going to think about it for quite a bit. He uses many many time chips. He's just too good, man. On these river spots, he's just. Too good. Oh, we got oh man, Nurtech. We have we have the Nurtech oh. ad. Sorry, this we'll be is in the this, middle. Yeah, this this goes in the final version because I'm not editing this out. <laughs> We've come too far. We're past the point of no return. Nurtech um, does not sponsor this podcast, but you got an ad in there sneakily. <laughs> um, man, I don't know how their time chips work, but like they work for a while. I think it's a minute per chip or something like that. But yeah. Yeah, there it is. So Garrett does make the good fold. Yeah, he he does make the fold. Well done, G Man. I mean, that's why that's why you get paid the the big bucks outside of these two streams. But you'll be back, I'm sure, for all the future streams. And uh, you know, the, the the funny part about these streams, by the way, as we close down, is like it's such a small sample. It's like two sessions, right? Of like 300 hands or so. And in that limited amount of hands, like not even 300 hands. Well, I mean, they're going to play like 12 hours. Oh, oh, right? in two hours and uh, two sessions total. Yeah. yeah, sorry. yeah I thought sessions. you were talking about per day. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yes. okay. They, get, they get like 400 hands total. And I mean, right, right, right. the variance in that small of a sample size is just really, really big. Yeah. Um, Garrett, Garrett ended up getting buried, but I mean, again, that shit happens over 400 hands. Did, did he overall? I thought he did okay, like one day and and not too well the other day. But. Uh, I think he got I think he got buried overall. Um, oh jeez, in, in okay. both days. And I, I think like this is the downside of playing live poker professionally is like you don't get a ton of these really big games. You need you got to capitalize <laughs> when when they go right. It, it's like very imperative that. Um, some shit goes well. I'm sure there's lots of aspiring high stakes pros who have been on the other end where they take a shot in a really good spot and it just does not go their way. And then, yeah, it just whacks them for yeah, maybe a year, maybe a couple of years. Yeah, that's incredible. Like I, I am like not at the point where I could imagine like, you know, 80% of my annual income coming from like four sessions or something like that. Like that's just... That would just be so stressful for me. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, but great hands selection this week, John. More live poker, apparently. Let's ask the Tactical Tuesday audience if you want more live poker, we can bring you more live poker. And with that said, thank you for watching today's episode. And uh, anything else you got? See you next week. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.